Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Tesla announces a surprising new tactic in its pricing offensive. U.S. Steel, a key supplier to the auto industry, attracts another buyout offer, this time for half a billion dollars more. And Ford makes hands-free highway driving hardware standard on many models, part of a push to increase subscription revenue. Plus, we hear all the time about how battery range and charging anxiety could be a big problem for EV makers. We'll hear from SBD Automotive's Robert Fisher, who says those concerns might be overblown. In the US, Europe, and China, the overwhelming majority are satisfied with charging infrastructure on just about every aspect. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. It's not exactly another price cut, but Tesla has a new plan to make some of its most expensive EVs more affordable. The company said it's introducing new versions of its flagship models, the Model S sedan and Model X crossover, with less battery range and slower acceleration. The move will reduce starting prices by $10,000. Analysts say it's the latest tactic by Tesla CEO Elon Musk to stimulate demand for the automaker's aging lineup amid slower growth for battery electric vehicles. Experian data shows Model S registrations fell 55% in the first half of the year compared with the same period last year. Model X registrations dropped about 6% for the same time frame. U.S. Steel has received a buyout offer from privately held Esmark for $7.8 billion in cash. It trumps an earlier bid from Cleveland Cliffs and surprised many market watchers. The offer is the latest twist in a rapidly evolving saga that has the potential to reshape the domestic steel landscape. U.S. Steel is a leading supplier of steel products to the U.S. auto industry. Esmark's CEO and owner James Bouchard said the company has cash available to fund the offer. Ford is installing the hardware for Blue Cruise, its hands-free driving system, as standard equipment on many Ford and Lincoln models. The move is part of an industry push to increase subscription revenue. The service will cost $2,100 for three years off the lot. Customers can also buy it later for $800 a year or $75 a month. Four years of Blue Cruise will be included in the purchase price of some Lincolns. Other companies are also betting on software and subscription revenue. Tesla Motors offers its full self-driving feature as a subscription. And General Motors has said it could generate $25 billion in annual revenue from subscriptions by 2030. As the UAW continues contract talks with Detroit 3 automakers, President Joe Biden is now weighing in. He called for, quote, all sides to work together to forge a fair agreement. In a statement released by the White House, Biden said, quote, the UAW helped create the American middle class, and as we move forward in this transition to new technologies, the UAW deserves a contract that sustains the middle class. The union represents 150,000 U.S. hourly workers at the three automakers. The union, so far, has not endorsed Biden's re-election bid. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Tesla introducing new versions of the Model S and Model X with less battery range and slower acceleration. Do you think this is a smart tactic? Well, it's definitely an interesting tactic. You know, it it seemed a little ironic to me, you know, Tesla, 
you think about the Model S came out at the same time as the Leaf, and it really set consumer expectations for vehicles to have, you know, 300 miles of range and just kind of take a lot of range anxiety off the plate. Uh, so it's a little interesting to see them going the opposite way, but it also makes a lot of sense with an aging model that really hasn't been redesigned and faces new competition from the Lucid Air. And what we've seen a lot with what Tesla has been doing with pricing, especially on the S and X has really put the screws to Lucid, kind of really undermining them every time they try to zig, uh, Tesla's already zagged. It's a very interesting strategy. Uh, coming up, we'll hear from SBD Automotive's Robert Fisher, who says EV range anxiety might not be as bad as many think. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. My team and I went to each car company separately. We sat down and we said, you know, what can you do? What you cannot do? How much time you need? How much going to cost you? And that pay off big time. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they come around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available wherever you get your podcasts starting September 11th. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. A surprising new survey from SBD Automotive suggests that electric vehicle range anxiety might be overstated. SBD surveyed about 1,600 EV owners in several countries. It found that consumers are generally happy with their charging experience and the infrastructure available to them. SBD's EV principal, Robert Fisher, talked about it with our own Molly Boygon on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation. Robert, thanks so much for joining us on the Shift Podcast. Hi, Molly. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So just to start off, you know, you all just performed a survey about the EV owner experience. And I'm wondering if you can just kind of high level describe the uh, content of the, of the survey and your major takeaways. Uh, sure. That's a, that's a really good point. Our, our recent survey highlighted some very interesting results. and. Uh, Maybe just a quick bit of background. We we do a lot of surveys throughout the year, and although we're not primarily a survey company, we're we're more of a market intelligence and strategic intelligence company. Uh, the surveys help you understand what the consumer actually wants and how consumers are behaving. And in this case, what we did is we we reached out to over sixteen hundred consumers in uh, China, the U.S., and the European Union, uh, five different countries in the EU. And we asked them a lot of different questions about their ownership experience uh, in whatever kind of car they have. And then if they had an EV, specific things about how they charge and how they drive their EV. 
We also asked the considerers, those people that don't have an EV but are actually interested in one, uh, what they think about EVs and what's preventing them from taking that step into the electric uh, mobility world. A lot of the insights that we got out of this were not necessarily true surprises, but there are some things that you you would see are more prevalent or less prevalent than you'd expect. One specific example, just to jump into one of the topics here, is that charging infrastructure was actually seen as being sufficient or even satisfying by most of the respondents. And that's something that we definitely don't hear in the media. So it's possible that the media actually has a bit of a, a bias toward charging infrastructure, or it's possible that people simply see their tax dollars are going toward uh, implementation and distribution of charging throughout the U.S. through the NEVI funding program and several other programs. So maybe that kind of brings it to front of mind that, uh, that yes, we actually are doing quite a bit to bring charging to the masses. So I think that I betrayed my own sort of media charging infrastructure bias because when I was looking at the report, I noticed that you know uh, the number of charging points was the number two barrier for the uh, survey respondents in the EU and in China. And my, you know, my takeaway from that, but, but again, you know, now I'm looking at it 30% for the EU respondents and 27% for the Chinese respondents, I guess we're concerned about that or, or what, what does that 30% and 27% actually represent? Well, I, I think the, the way to look at that is in that particular question, we just asked the drivers to tell us what they saw as being potential barriers. So in this case, we, we asked that type of question just so that we can kind of bring out all of the potential concerns. And they're not limited by how many they can choose. So somebody who's particularly negative, they could go in there and choose every single one of them. Uh, I believe they had something like uh, 17, 18 different items to choose from. And in that case, they, they know that the number of charging stations could be a barrier. And if there are more, then of course, that's better. So it, it's very likely in that type of question setup that people are going to check that box because more chargers is, of course, a better thing. However, if we go down to another question that we asked, we asked this question about whether or not they're satisfied with various aspects of charging infrastructure. We didn't ask them just to tick a box of, yes, this is a potential concern, but how much of a concern is it? Is it something that's a major issue for you? Or perhaps are you even satisfied with it? And what we see here is that in the US, Europe, and China, the overwhelming majority are satisfied with charging infrastructure on just about every aspect, uh, the number of stations, the reliability, ease of use, ease of paying, uh, locating a station in the city, and locating a station outside of the city. Uh, We saw somewhere around 60% uh, positivity, if you will, and only about 15% negativity. Uh, The rest of them were, were neutral, and we, of course, removed those from that particular chart. But what this shows is that the drivers themselves are not really seeing the problem that the media is discussing, at least the vast majority. Now, sure, individual cases may have uh, different experiences, but for the vast majority, we are seeing a positive outlook uh, on charging infrastructure. Yeah, that's a really interesting point and definitely a surprising finding. Were there other things that surprised you about the survey responses? There were a few for sure. For instance, if we look at the the split between the, the various countries, we saw that in the U.S., of course, people are more concerned about range than they are in some of the other areas. And you might say, well, that's obvious because in the U.S., people tend to drive more. But then when we looked at how far people actually drive, of course, this is self-reported. But when we look at how far they drive, we see that in the U.S., it's roughly on par with Europe and China. However, that's only for EV drivers. If we look at those who don't drive EVs, their typical commute distance is farther. 
and they take more long trips. So they might take, say, nine long trips per year versus six for the EV drivers. So that one, we don't have a clear answer to. It means one of two things. It means people that don't drive as much and don't take as many long trips are more likely to drive an EV. Or it means that when people purchase an EV, they then start to drive less and take fewer trips. So either way, that does show that there is still a bit of a barrier. There's a lack of cohesion between the, the needs of the consumer and what is actually coming out in the market, or what's, what's on sale in the market. So this is a, a clear sign that although these early adopters and sort of the, the early majority are happy with their EVs in general, we're not going to get to mass market into the, the overall majority or the late majority without causing some concerns for people's driving distance and for the number of times they take a long trip. Yeah, that's that's also interesting because it reminds me a little bit of the JD Power survey that came out last month that saw satisfaction for Tesla owners slipping and and when I spoke to someone at JD Power they said that that might be because we're basically moving past the early adopters who might have been super positive about, you know, myriad Tesla features and then, you know, subsequent adopters are perhaps more skeptical or, you know, less fans of the brand and more just interested in the technology or something like that. How do you see this progressing with respect to what you were just talking about? Because, you know, my understanding is that the earliest adopters are likely to be kind of the most positive. Are we, you know, are we going to see, you know, just steadily decreasing satisfaction looking at surveys like this? Or is there is there something else to consider? Yeah, that, that is an excellent point and great question. There is a sort of turning point. So once we get past uh, about the two-thirds mark, uh, then we expect that there's going to be a natural kind of overwhelming adoption of EVs. But getting to that two-thirds mark, which is, of course, more than halfway through the majority, that's going to take a lot of effort. And that's what we've got to get to. We have to get to that point where we can then start to convince even the laggards, the ones who are essentially EV deniers, we have to get to the point where we can convince them that switching to an EV is better for them and better for their lifestyle regardless of whether or not it's good for the environment. Because honestly, if they're not interested in driving an EV, there's a good chance they're not that interested or that concerned about the environment itself. If you, if you look at our survey, the environmental impact is the number one motivator for China, Europe, and the US. And again, that rings true for a lot of people, but it does not ring true for everybody. And so th those that aren't really concerned about it um, are really going to have to be convinced some other way. Maybe it's capability of the vehicles. Maybe it's the speed and the acceleration. Maybe in the future, it's because we can do five-minute fast charges. You know, it's not currently possible, but in the future, those things might begin to start to persuade those sort of laggards to uh, jump on board. Well, just speaking of the motivating factors, and, you know, you, you sort of touched on this with the range issue that, you know, there are sort of cultural or use differences across these different respondents. Americans are particularly concerned about range because people have to drive, perhaps because people have to drive long distances. And then on the flip side of that, you know, that in-car tech was the number two motivator for the Chinese respondents. And I wanted to ask you about that. Is, is it your sense that the vehicles on the Chinese market put more of a focus on in-car tech? Or is it that Chinese drivers are, you know, paying particular attention to those features? How would you kind of explain the presence of that as a number two motivator for the Chinese respondents, and then not even in the top three for the American and the EU respondents? The, the Chinese market's interesting because it has accelerated so rapidly in electrification in the last decade, but not just in electrification. The, 
the automotive market in China has accelerated rapidly as well, just overall. And so we, we saw China go from sort of an emerging automotive market to now a leading automotive market in a very short period of time. When that happened, a lot of the existing automakers, for instance, like you know Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz, they were there as well, uh, selling vehicles that were almost identical to the ones being sold in Europe and North America. Uh, we also had plenty of uh, local automakers. And they were essentially producing vehicles that were commonplace. They had the same basic feature sets that you'd find in any other vehicle uh, or in any other market. About that time, as these new EV companies came on board, which were dozens and dozens of companies, it seems like every day we had a new announcement about a, a new EV company. These startups were trying to innovate and they're trying to differentiate on those innovations. So we saw many of these EVs coming to market with really interesting features. You may have seen some photos of um, the little avatar that sits on top of the dashboard that talks to you and its eyes blink up and down. These different things are, are maybe gimmicks for some people, but for other people, it shows innovation and it shows a, a leadership in technology. Uh, we also saw much, much improved voice recognition. We saw uh, chatbots built into the vehicles. And then we saw direct integration with uh, smartphones. And, and that's something that was really captivating to people who were interested in new technology and electrification. And so they saw this rapid uh, acceleration of new technology in EVs. So I think as the market began to link EVs with in-car tech, it became clear that if you want in-car tech, you go to an EV and you go to one of these EV startups, uh, whether that's uh, whether that's Xpeng or is it you know some of the new offerings from BYD, they're all quite innovative and they have some neat ideas and neat features. So that's something that China has as being very unique. And now they're starting to export that uh, those vehicles to the US and to Europe. And I think it is going to be a very competitive market in the near future uh, with, again, going back to BYD and Xpeng moving uh, abroad, as well as NIO, who has now been in Europe for a couple of years. We are seeing um, a lot of interest in those vehicles and the feature sets, like I said, are quite interesting. Robert Fisher is SBD Global's EV principal. He spoke with automotive news tech and innovation reporter Molly Boygon on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson for their help on today's podcast. We had reporting from automotive news journalists Molly Boygon and Lawrence Iliff. You can get the latest news on tech and innovation and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for my conversation with CDK Global Chief Marketing Officer, Barb Edson, about the company's new dealership management software platform. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.